at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Welcome to Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Howdy, everyone. Hey, remember when we told everyone to not jump off a ledge, Dan? That, uh, that, that like a week ago? Um, I would still advise that no one literally jumps off a ledge, and, uh, and even even basketball wise, I think we're still we're like peering over and like considering maybe on like a bad day, but <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's right across our mind, but I don't think we're in full full ledge mode yet. No, we're we're measuring the drop and like what that might mean, and and, and maybe the, the the repercussions of it, but yeah, I don't think we're there yet. Um, it was something I tried to, to emphasize. Um, I think like over the weekend, I know I posted something, and Andy posted something on Monday, just kind of talking about like where our chances lie. And I, I, I still think if we, we, if we win the game, we're supposed to going forward. Um, and, and supposed to, I understand, includes, in my case, Florida State, a game that right now we're not favored to win. Um, but I think if we go 2-1 and, and, and grab a win in the, uh, in the ACC tournament, that should be enough to get us in, especially given this year's pretty weak bubble. Yeah, I mean, and also, I mean, obviously one game doesn't necessarily mean that the same thing's going to happen next game, but it's not like Syracuse didn't handle Florida State pretty easily before. So while it'd probably be a little naive to just assume that the same exact thing will happen twice in a row, we've seen, you know, season series where both games are blowouts in opposite directions, but... um, I, I think that there are still a couple of very winnable games, but also I don't think there are any that, I mean, Boston College is, we're done with them. So uh, NC State's not a great team, but they, they've won some, uh, or they've, you know, been very competitive in, in a lot of games this year. And uh, I don't think there's anyone we can really take lightly, but I also think they're, you know, Syracuse is still, um, there. there's wins on the table to be had. It, it would be nice if we could uh, steal a bye here. I know we've slipped down to ninth in the ACC, so getting back up into the, the five through eight range would be nice. Yeah, and I mean, you and me have talked about this. Like, the ACC is super deep. Um, I know, even if we slipped to ninth, do we still get a bye just because Louisville's out? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I totally forget. I mean, the last time, I can't remember the last time we were involved in a postseason, like, well, is involved in a uh, conference championship tournament that didn't have a team out. Let me see what last year's, because last year we were out, so same thing. Um yeah, and then the year before that was somebody, mm. right? No, no, that no. was a full tournament. But then the year, oh, we had, the, the last year, Maryland of the Big East. Of Louisville. Oh yeah, the last year of the Big East, somebody was out, right? UConn, West Virginia, or UConn? Well, last year, Big East, West Virginia had already left. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, and but I don't know. There was some weird stuff. Was it was? I don't remember. I, <laughs> it was so long ago now. Fair enough. Um, Different life. I'm trying to find a bracket from last year. Overall, like, I just, you know, would like to have that buy, and I, I don't know if we'll even get in a hugely advantageous matchup, but... 
that's the problem at this point. I feel like no matter where we finish and we're, we're destined to finish somewhere we don't want to be, um, is that we're looking at facing a team we just don't want to face in that first All right, game. so so it looks like, like 10, like basically uh, the top 10 all did a buy because hmm. it's there's two, there's 12, 13, and 11, 14 uh, that face in the first round on Tuesday. So if we finish ninth, we'd be facing the eighth place team, which is Clemson. Gotcha. But then do we move up to eighth because Louisville's out? Oh, good call. So we'd be eighth, so we'd be facing the ninth place team, which is Virginia Tech. Like, there just really isn't, like, none of these teams, even the ones we beat soundly, there's none that are like, uh, I mean, unless you want to slip down and face BC, which I don't want to fall that far. But if we do, then we're already out. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Because, like, Virginia Tech plays us tough. Obviously, we, we, you know, pulled away pretty late last time. BC we handled this year, but... We're not going to play them. Georgia Tech, we're only going to by three, um, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it's not – there's no obvious answer here. So I think we just kind of take the draw as we get it. Yeah. Uh, I guess slight sidebar while we're here. Remember that time we were all saying that Nova's garbage? Look at the scores. <laughs> I, I cannot wait to pick a 7 through 10 seed to beat them in the first round – or second round of the tournament. It's going to be great. Oh yeah, and very I, excited. I think any any seven or ten. You know what? I, I'd almost I don't want it to be us because I I like going over chances to beat us, but at the same time, it'd be so entertaining to be that seven or ten seed. I have the exact same feeling. Like Villanova stylistically, like they put a lot of shooters on the floor. Um, we know they know how to play the zone, although they kind of go in between being really good and really bad against it. Um, but also, like just being that spoiler team for them, uh, knowing that, you know, we're not the biggest of rivals, but I'd say we're still rivals as much as two teams that don't play every year can be. And I, I, yeah. Um, and I don't think they would like losing to us at all. It was a one seed. I think that would be (laughs) very annoying to them. Maybe not as bad as like if they lost to UConn again for like the 8,000th time, but I I also don't want like UConn to get the glory of that either. So I'll take, I, I, I think I'd settle for that over playing like a Kansas or a uh, like an Oklahoma or a couple oh, other. I pick of any these. of those. I pick Villanova hands down. Yeah, I think you just got to take them. Like not all these teams to beat us, but I think I would take my shot with the with the the Wildcats. Yeah, I buy that. All right, so I guess diverting back to the games at hand instead of projected ones that could happen, but probably not. Um, you mentioned NC State's a little feisty. Obviously, Cat Barber is a little bit dangerous. But outside of him, I mean, NC State really became a one-man team this year, which is surprising because I don't feel like anyone really saw that as an outcome, especially when NC State looked very good last year. Um, in the tournament, they seemed like a team that was maybe prime. I mean, yes, they lost some talent, but they looked like a team that could you know, finish middle of the pack, um, no pun intended, in the ACC um, and you know, do their usual grab like a, a somewhere between seven and ten seed and maybe pull an upset um but you know this year's team three of their four wins have been have been sizable upsets um in acc play and that's where you know i, I think luckily not luckily but because we lost the last two games i don't think anyone's looking past state but i think a lot of people until last week were, were very very anxious to look right past um nc state you know into those last two uh, road games against unc and florida state 
No, 100. percent And they've like their struggles this year have been very strange. I think I, I don't know they were a great team, but I thought they'd be a tournament contender. They have some very interesting players. Cat Barber, um, if his team if the team is better, he'd be a player of the year candidate uh, in the ACC. Um, so yeah, it, it'd be very silly to just assume that um, that SU will beat State, especially because State's played SU really tough the last couple of years. We've, we've had some nightmarish games against them. We really have. I mean, have, we haven't beat them. Have we beaten them in the last at least two seasons? I mean, I know we had last year was a blowout, and the year before that we had the really messy game in the ACC tournament. But I forgot what happened in the regular season. Wasn't there like some fluke? We beat them on the on the. There was some like weird last second play. Oh yeah, that's Tyler right. and his team. Uh, it was kind of controversial, but not like super controversial. It's controversial um, if you don't really know what controversial is. It also happened like right. Before, it was like right in the same vicinity of uh, the Maryland game, right? Of the Maryland game and also the pit buzzer, the Ennis yeah. like miracle shot. So we was like that stretch where we kind of saw the the wheels coming off, but we um, well, also kind of chalked it up. Yeah, we both kind of adored it and said, "Oh, this team just knows how to win." <laughs> um, which I mean, I think they kind of did. It was a fifty six fifty five win. It was our last. It was our twenty fifth. It was it was a game that made us twenty five and zero. And then the next game we lost to BC, and then we lost at Duke. Then we lost to Georgia Tech, and then Wheels. The Wheels not only we came up, they blasted were blasted by Virginia. <laughs> and then we lost to NC State by three in an awful game that I was at, I was at in Greensboro. I love that team so much. Yet whenever I look back at them, even 20, 30 years from now, I'm just going to be angry. Yeah, and twenty five and zero, like just starting twenty five and zero, is so special. But then to lose your last, let's see, six of your last uh, nine games, like that's, that's rough. Trash. Yeah. And and two and some. I mean, the Duke game, which obviously mitigating circumstances, um, which BS. Uh, Virginia was just really good that year. I can excuse like that game was close for a while and got away from us. But then Georgia Tech wasn't a good team. No. NC State was okay, but like that was a rough loss. And then the Dayton loss, like all those. We had every right to beat Dayton, too. Especially after what we did to Western Michigan just, like, a couple days before. Yeah, so, like, even if SU got lucky in the Pitt game and the NC State game and a couple of the others, uh, the, the Duke overtime win, like, five of those six losses, five of the six games that SU lost that year um, were, were by single digits and were absolutely brutal. The only game that was, like, a straight-up... I mean, I don't really remember the, the Georgia Tech game too much specifically. It was a five-point loss uh, at the Dome, but... Um, the Virginia game was, like, the only one where we were just totally outmatched. Like, the other five games were all, like, heartbreaking losses. Yeah. Now, I, uh, I said I'm always going to have a weird relationship with that season, and I'm sure a lot of SU fans feel the same. Um, catching up to the present day a little bit, and, yep, Nova lost. <laughs> uh, catching up to the present day. Dan, do you find it weird, like, at least as weird as I do, that Pitt's being given all this credit for improving their resume with a quality win against us while we're being blasted for losing the game it doesn't seem like you can have both sides of that coin yeah i mean i think some of it probably has to do with the final score which was a bit um it's a bit misleading it like it was a, they won by 14 it was one of those where the last like it was like any minutes, pit game yeah like they just ground us into submission and then the game was close for most of it and then they just you know we didn't hit free throws and they ran away with it at the end, but 
Uh, I don't know. It's a little bit weird that I feel like Syracuse is like the way people have treated Syracuse all year has been kind of weird. Not not like a bias thing or anything, but Pitt like really does not have a lot in its resume aside from beating SU. Um, it might pick up a nice one in Louisville tonight, but like looking down, their only other big wins like they beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame, which is great. Um, and yeah, <laughs> like they they have some other like okay wins like they beat Georgia Tech which isn't great, but it's something. They beat Florida State. They beat Virginia Tech by a lot. But other than that, like, this Pitt, Pitt never plays uh, a ton of uh, out-of-conference uh, challenges. They played Purdue and lost pretty handily, and that was the only big game. I guess they played Davidson, who's not that good this year. So, um, you know, Pitt has two head-to-head lot wins over Syracuse, and if I'm on the committee, that makes it pretty tough to put SU in ahead of Pitt. Right. But... Syracuse is all, I mean, aside from the Notre Dame, it cancels out. We both beat Notre Dame by a lot. Um, actually, no, they only beat Notre Dame by four, but it was on the road. But, um, you know, that maybe that wipes, uh, those two wipe each other. But other than, than like, you know, Pitt is a head-to-head, which is, which is great, and that probably should trump everything. But, uh, but Syracuse's resume is a lot better overall. Yeah, I mean, other than the losses, and I think that's really where, like, we get ding. The fact that we have more losses, I mean, we probably are due for at least one more this season with North Carolina. I think that's... I think that's where a team like Pitt, um, and you know, and maybe another bubble team, um, not in the ACC, has an advantage on us. Um, is just in the loss column. Um, I mean, I, I think that now, you know, you and I said this, another said this too. Um, the ACC did kind of cannibalize itself, and I think we might be looking at. I mean, in a worst case scenario, this could be a six bid league. Yeah, I, I, I won't. You know really complain if, if Pitt was dead and over SU and SU got left out, like if that's one of the teams. But um, overall, I mean, I don't think it's like a total, like I don't think they're all locked by any means now if they don't do, you know, what they need to do down the stretch. Um, they have, uh, they have at, versus Duke who's playing good ball now. They're at Virginia Tech, which is no gimme. And then they're at Georgia Tech, which is, you know, they should win that, but they, they could finish one and two and they could lose tonight and it's Louisville who they are. Uh, tied with last I looked at 52. So um, I don't know. They're they're right there with us, I think. Um, unfortunately, I wish we had split those two games because then it would be a lot easier to argue. Oh, yeah. And I mean, at that point, a 9-6 and six Syracuse team is looking at potentially jumping Duke and Notre Dame if, if the cards fall right. I mean, North Carolina... Um, you know, they look like... They look fine, but I think Miami is within striking distance. Um... Even if, you know, all things considered, Miami, I don't think, is a Final Four caliber team. I mean, that loss last week to to the Heels was was pretty much a backbreaker. But nonetheless, they're they're still within a half game of of UNC. And UNC doesn't have an easy schedule. Um, And Miami, you know, really took care of business against uh, against University of Virginia. Yeah, the whole ACC is just, I mean, it's very indicative of... uh how college basketball is this year. I mean, the Big 12 is probably the best team, best league, but it's also hard to judge when a lot of, like, the big wins are coming against, you know, one another. It's really hard to figure out exactly if it leaks just as good as it seems to be, and, you know, they play exciting games. I mean, I'm all for promoting the Big 12 just as, like, it's been a blast to follow. But you also, you know, it's it's hard to judge when so much of the quality wins, like, all these close teams are, you know, coming against one another. So maybe that leads overrated. Maybe the ACC is underrated, or maybe, 
you know, everything is as it seems. Um, but overall, college basketball is just, like, really hard to beat on. So I think anyone who says that they know exactly which teams are are for sure going to make runs of the Final Four are just lying because none of them look like a, a short thing at any by any means. No, and you know what? Like, this, this year's ACC, and we probably said this a couple times throughout our tenure here so far, but I think this year, uh, most importantly, really does look a lot like the old Big East just in terms of, you know, just like what you were just describing, um, teams really just beating up on each other. Um, and then everyone just goes, well, like, if you were to face that many great teams, like, you'd do, like, that, and, and that grind of a schedule, like, you know, you'd, you'd suffer three or four losses in league play, too. Let's just give them all the bids and see what happens. Now, um, obviously, for the Big East, that didn't always go well, in part because the tournament committee decided to pit Big East teams against one another. But... Um, yeah, I, I think that I think it's going to be very telling in the postseason to see where these teams can go because I do think while there, there's a lot more maybe flow and, and, and pace to the game in the ACC this year than there was in some of those latter years of the Big East where it was just an absolute grind. Um, I still think this schedule, has, especially how it was constructed with a lot of these you know three games in six days type, type things for a lot of teams, um, could really take a toll and, and not one that you really want, um, you know, out of your top contenders in your conference. Yeah, I mean, I really I hope that the uh, powers that be kind of uh, heard Bayheim's complaining because I, I think we said it the last couple of weeks. Like, I get that he's a complainer, but also the concerns are quite valid. Like, it's some of the some of the way some of the, the things that have happened with the schedules, and it's not just Syracuse; it's just the way the ACC has scheduled for some reason. Um, are just like really strange. The the two stretches that he complained about, with like the four and ten and the three and six or whatever, like it just doesn't doesn't make any sense. When we then we had like a nine game nine day uh, stretch of being off, we could have slid two games into that uh, that period and just totally you know alleviated ourselves of so many of these issues. No, absolutely, and that goes right back to the like okay, well if you're going to talk about you know student athletes and all this other crap. Like that sounds nice, but but then in practice you're not, you don't believe it. So, like, you know, I guess where does the hypocrisy end? Yep, and that is the story of the NCAA. And by the way, Louisville is up six with 19 seconds. Well, there you go. Um, I guess one other thing on Syracuse, where we talk a little bit more about the ACC at large. Um, Dan, do you think that there's a there's a situation where Syracuse beats North Carolina? but loses the other two games, that that North Carolina win supersedes the two losses? That's a good question. I don't know. Um, the UNC win would be very nice. They're going to be a top-10 team by the time the tournament rolls around. I think I'd rather have the two other wins just because it gives us, you know, they're all kind of the same in terms of ACC posturing, and I'd rather have a chance to pick up an ACC tournament win and make it three than, like, run the risk of, Maybe a harder ACC match, but that might not even matter. So, um, I don't know. I, I think I'd just rather have the two wins. I'd rather get closer to the. the I'd rather get the twenty regular season. Um, but you could argue it either way. I, I don't know how the committee will view it um, because NC State and FSU uh, at FSU wouldn't look like a terrible win, but they're on a, a real slide. Like they've lost four or five in a row. Uh, basically, I don't think they've won a game since we beat them. Yeah, and. NC State's just like they're fourteen and thirteen. They only won four games in conference. I, I think that would look like a pretty bad loss. Um, 
But this year, the bubble might just be... I mean, Syracuse's main strength in terms of its resume is its quality wins. Right. So maybe UNC would top that off, you know, with adding to the Duke win, adding to the Notre Dame win, um, the the Texas A&M won earlier. So it, it's a good argument. I, I would lean towards taking the two. I think that's fair. I think, and you know what, like, SU does have a weird resume, and I think it's, it's going to be weird for the committee to kind of consider. I mean, again, we don't know what they're going to... They keep saying things about Bayheim's absence. We don't really know what, what that's going to mean. But if Syracuse were to beat North Carolina and lose the other two games, hypothetically, who would have a better collection of, you know, victories, like quality victories, than win over Notre Dame at home, uh, win on the road at Duke, win on the road at North Carolina, um, win over Texas A&M on a neutral floor, um, I mean, who knows what Wisconsin's going to turn into? That was the loss. I mean, I just think that there is... I, I would challenge most teams in the same position as us to, to come up with a better collection of wins. And, and I would bet anyone looking at the 10-11 line um, is that the large team probably doesn't have that sort of resume, Pitt included. No. Uh, Pitt has the head-to-heads, but other everyone else, I mean, we've looked at some of those teams. I think maybe last week we were looking at like the Floridas and, and looking at the 7-10s the here. Syracuse probably fall. South Carolina, I mean, they they feast on a, on a really weak schedule to start, and they've kind of fallen apart down the stretch. Um, Seton Hall, not nothing really too impressive. I think they beat uh, maybe one of the big the two big East teams, but you know nothing great. Providence, same thing. Like these aren't very these aren't really super quality resumes here. I mean, Wichita State is a seven over in St. Louis. Uh, not to like jump right into this, but n- none of these teams have uh, the wins that Syracuse do. Now, a lot of them probably don't have a loss to St. John's because not a lot of teams in basketball have a loss to St. John's this year. <laughs> St. John's is awful, but um, you know, I-, I think if I'm doing, if I'm a selector here, uh, knowing that all these teams are very flawed, none of them have, you know, that are in this like seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven range are like perfect and, and obvious. I think, and, and I could be totally biased, but I think I had leaned towards the ones that have the better wins versus maybe the ones that just held serve against whatever dreads they scheduled and, and didn't really beat anyone impressive. Because at least you know Syracuse can get up and, and really challenge anyone, even if they could also fall on their face. Yeah, I'd buy that. Um, I guess before we think, might go halftime bracketology, then football, we'll see. Um I know college game day last week really uh, shit all over Boston College, and rightfully so, but they talked about football and basketball. Um, and I kind of tweeted out after the fact, because uh, Wake Forest, you know, really took, um, I know Blogger So Dear, SB Nation's Wake Forest blog, you know, really seemed to take, um, you know, the current AD to task and, and talking about, you know, their struggles. And, I mean, you and me saw Wake as a, as a competitive team potentially this year, or at least a team that would finish you know, somewhere in the 10 to 12 or maybe 14 at worst case range, but probably 10 to 12 um, in the ACC, and they've been miserable. Um, I mean, Dan, do, do you think that this is kind of a, a now or never time for Syracuse uh, and on the court and on the football field that we, we have a golden opportunity to um, really separate ourselves from the two most similar institutions? Um, and, 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 I mean, I, at least for me, like I saw this as, as it's now or never, like we need to jump. Um, and, and, and jump very high to just distance ourselves from those two because at the end of the day, um, I think even if Dino Babers um, is able to turn things around a little bit, even if Mike Hopkins is able to maintain a similar-ish 
trajectory to what Bayheim's done. I still think that looking overall at the institutions, um, I think SU is still going to be compared to those two. Have those two firmly entrenched on the bottom, I think only serves to help us. Yeah, I mean, in basketball, I'm not too worried about it. I, I don't think, you know, Wake had some really, really good days in the 90s and, and Wentress Paul was around in the 2000s, but they haven't been that program in a while. And Syracuse has consistently been pretty, you know, better for the last you know, 15 years, I'd say. Right. And Boston College, um, you know, not even, doesn't even have the, the highs that Wake basketball does. Football, I think it's a better, it's a better, you know, focus. And I, I'd say it is a prime time. I mean, Syracuse is, should be on the rise because it can't get much worse than it was the last two years. They have an exciting new coach. They seem to be embracing um, kind of modern football and, and have the, the facilities to uh, make those things very exciting and make them successful. Um, where Wake, you know, who knows when this rebuild gets out. I, I'm not sure that they should be selling this early on um, – on Dor on uh not Doran um what's his name uh Clawson right they're like the same person um <laughs> and and BC I mean I think it'd be it'd be pretty foolhardy to totally jump off the Adazio train because he has been fairly successful to compared to you know what BC's ceiling is for the most part but another bad year and I could see Adazio really being on the hot seat so um. I mean, I think for in football especially, it is a really good time because I, I I know that Babers has said that the rebuild at SU might take a little longer than what people would probably hope, but I also think he might just be, uh, you know, he doesn't know exactly what he has yet. He's just getting this team on the field now. Um, it wouldn't shock me if Syracuse is, you know, competitive or better than those two teams this year. Uh, at Wake, we haven't had any trouble with in any year, even when Syracuse has been pretty bad in B.C., Obviously, uh, we we handled this year and and a couple of years ago under Schaefer. So, yeah, if, if SU can can really distance themselves from them and kind of claw its way towards that Louisville NC State tier in the Atlantic and and uh, make sure there's some some real distance there, I think it would be a good thing. Especially because we do recruit against those two teams a lot. Especially Wake Forest, it seems like oh is always popping up on the same list as as SU. Yeah, I mean, you know what, I, I think that. I mean, I think Louisville is 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 very quickly putting itself on a different tier, um, and it's not it's not the Florida State Clemson tier, but it's probably hanging around because of the money they're willing to spend on athletics and football in general. Um, I think they're probably hanging around the North Carolina, Miami, Virginia Tech tier in in the ACC, which is not a bad place to be, to be honest. Um, I think Duke is probably like another year or two away from there, just for consistency's sake. Um, but yeah, if SU can get to the NC State tier, which is kind of like the lower, I'd say maybe like Duke, NC State, um, and Pitt are probably like that next grouping. If SU can play itself up into there, I mean, two guaranteed wins a year would help. Um, it's interesting. I feel like, you know, when we hired Schaefer, when uh, Wake Forest hired Clawson, um, when, you know, BC hired Dazio, everything seemed to indicate, okay, these three teams are going to be on similar trajectories and, and have similar outlooks. Uh, with promising coaches and, and it's interesting now that we were the first to fire but I feel like we're going to be the quickest to get up because like Clawson's doing better their defense is vastly improved but the offense is still stagnant and Clawson one of his things was was offense and, and that that team just hasn't been able to compete there at all can't compete for recruits can't compete on the field um, it's been it's been pretty bad BC um, you know offense was never their calling card but 
um, from a from a just effectiveness standpoint. I mean, it's one thing. Like I think one of the Adazio teams, I forgot which one, at Temple, like kind of took a step back, but you didn't see it in in the metrics as far as you know plus minus and and, and offensive efficiency things like that. With BC, you saw an absolute crater last year, and yes, there were injuries involved there, but um, recruiting took a huge huge hit as a result. Um, if these young kids who who were all playing last year um, aren't able to to you know take a step up um, from freshman to sophomore, sophomore to junior year, uh, then BC is, is, is suddenly football-wise, and it's funny because we're literally like 14 months removed from singing Adazio's praises. We're like BC is in, in a in dire dire straits. Yeah, it's weird because you thought like that game where they beat USC is a win that Syracuse has been looking to get for a long time, and obviously USC didn't end up being that great, but it's still USC. Um, getting them to come to Boston College is actually even kind of a you know, makes me feel not great. Uh, although they were supposed to go to Syracuse, and it wasn't USC that changed the uh, changed the deal on that and made that mm-hmm. a MetLife game. But um, no, it is interesting, and it shows you how quick these things can change. Because BC did seem to be building something, but I also thought BC's game was kind of a you know they might top out a like a seven eight win team. They play power football, but you know when I bid high flying, you know into defense, but when a really uh, high-flying offense that could mitigate those defensive advantages comes in, you know, they weren't going to compete on a talent level with Florida State and Clemson. At best, they could muddy it up, which they even did last year. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I'd i much rather go the route that Syracuse is going, where it's, you know, trying to compile as much yardage and points and, you know, play a really exciting brand rather than, you know, hoping to drag things in the dirt and win on punts and, and forcing turnovers and getting some luck so but you know Adazio I do think I, I wouldn't totally write him off yet I think it's early to do that but I think he's playing a game that requires uh that there's a, there's much less of a um there's there's less of a uh, uh I'm totally losing words it's right kind now. of a margin for error to be yeah honest. it's like, exactly what I was trying to say there's a, there, a very small margin of error playing the the type of football that he likes and that's you know what we saw with Schaefer same thing I think Adazio's a more proven coach. He's done it at Temple. He's done it a couple years at BC. But um, I like the more analytical uh, approach that I think Babers takes, and that's been proven at two stops with him. And obviously, we've seen what Baylor has done. And while Syracuse isn't going to be getting Texas athletes anytime soon, um, I think the general concepts will work uh, as long as the players buy in. No, I completely agree there. And you know, it's interesting. I feel like. I feel like Adazio is, is is coaching like a Big Ten coach, and in the Big Ten that works even for the you know terrible teams like Purdue and in largely Indiana and Illinois because you're you still have access to that talent base, um, and and you know BC on the other hand um, doesn't have access to that talent base seems to struggle to recruit um, within its walls and outside of them. Um, I don't really know to be honest like what what BC's like calling card is in terms of like recruiting area. Um, I know. I think they do some work in PA, but that's really—they're just—they're not on anyone's radar. Um, and I think last year's cratering was just the worst timed uh, thing for them. I think the same thing for Rutgers too. I mean, at least they made a coaching change, but ill-timed. And to be honest, like I think if Fidazio can even get them back to five or six wins next year, um, I could see him taking the Illinois job and just saying, you know what, like I'm not dealing with these unrealistic expectations at BC. And that may be the right or wrong move for him and the university. I'm really not sure. 
Yeah, and I, I'm not quite sure what the expectations are, at least coming from the uh, athletic department, but there have been, like, rumblings or could be changes there, too, and we've kind of seen firsthand what that might mean. So um, it will be interesting to see what happens with him if uh, if they choose to part ways, because I think there is a lot to like with what Adazio has done. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you do want it to stay competitive, and they seem to be going the wrong direction. At least, you know, it, it's very small sample size with BC, but... The, the returns the last year or two haven't been the greatest, especially offensively. They've just been such a mess since uh, since they've lost, you know. If they don't have, like, a game-changing running back, it's it, things haven't worked. Too true. And on that, we'll go to halftime. Uh, Dan, what have you been drinking? Um, not a ton of new things, but the, the, really hot, the real highlight was uh, last weekend I got to try uh, the Westbrook Brewing's Ghosts. Uh, um, so good. which is fantastic. Like you, I think you said it was one of the better ones that you've had. Um, we've had a couple Westbrook things before. I know we had, when we met up in New York city, a couple months ago, we had the, the Mexican cake, which was wonderful. This, uh, I like ghosts a lot. Um, this was definitely one of the better ones I've had. It's quite sour, but, um, really drinkable, uh, really refreshing. Um, and Westbrook just seems to do a really great job with, uh, pretty much everything they attempt which is which is pretty good deal and yeah i would have to agree every time i go to north carolina see my parents uh, it's one of the first things i do is stop by one of the local uh, bottle shops in raleigh at the near the airport and, and try to grab some of that and uh, some of the other staples down there um some things that i had last week i had fruit cart from monkish uh, phenomenal beer, like a fruit-loaded sour uh, from them. Just really, really good. Only 100 bottles made. Um, just really enjoyable stuff. Um, tried out Stone's uh, Americano Stout. Um, just their Stout Brewed with Espresso. Um, thought, it was, thought it was good. I mean, it was no Founders uh, Breakfast Out necessarily, but didn't have to be. Um, had FV1 from Beachwood Brewing. It's a double IPA. Uh, had a bottle of Yellow Rose from Lone Pint down in Texas, a uh, product of a trade partner. Thanks again, Tim. It was very good. And I think Yellow Rose uh, doesn't really get outside of Texas, but for those who have had it or have an ability to acquire it, I would highly recommend it. Uh, it's, again, from Lone Pint. Very, very good stuff. And besides that, I just kind of ended up going back to Smog City and Monkish again, which is kind of what I do lately. Um... And had a lot of Snugglebug and Cuddlebug. And those two beers, uh, I could pretty much just swim in and be happy. Not a, not a bad thing. Uh, although, swimming beer, you know, who knows if that's the safest thing. But Probably not. I trust your judgment, John. <laughs> Most people don't. Um, moving on to Bractology a little bit before we maybe talk some spring football. Um, Try to keep this lighter than last week. I know we ended up going into, like, double overtime on this one. Um, but looking at the latest, and again, this is not a direct endorsement of ESPN or Joe Lenardi. In fact, it's almost talking about it despite them. Um, but looking at the most recent one, dated February 22nd, which is a couple days ago, um, East Bracket first. Uh, Dan, I'll start us off. Uh, Villanova facing a 16-seeded Bucknell makes me laugh so hard because if there was ever a year that a 16 could beat a 1, <laughs> this, uh, that would kind of be it. Yeah, I know this isn't like 
quite the same Bucknell team we've had in the last couple of years with like uh, who was it Mike Mastala who was there who was yeah. really good. Um, I would still go with Villanova. Sure, um, but this is not a bad Bucknell team. No, not at all. Bucknell's always pretty uh, pretty feisty in the tournament. Yeah. So uh, I'll go with Nova, but I, I do think there is uh, some comedy potential there. And leave it to Lenardi to obviously find the random Pennsylvania matchups. True. Uh, yeah, so I'll take Villanova. Uh, I'll probably go with Pittsburgh, and then I will begrudgingly pick, pick Pittsburgh to beat Villanova. Actually, no, I won't. I'm actually going to believe in Nova past round two somehow. Um, See, this top part of the bracket's tough. Um, I really want to believe in Iowa State, but as we discussed last week, that's not an option. Uh, so in that case, uh, Purdue, you're headed to the Elite Eight somehow um, in a year you don't deserve to. Um, and you will be facing Michigan State, and Michigan State will beat you and get themselves to the Final Four. I'm pretty convinced of all of that. Um, let's see. Uh yeah, I really like how Michigan how that worked out for Michigan State. Miami, um, I think, you know, I like Miami a lot. I like what they've done this year. I think Michigan State seems to be coming back into their own after the Denzel Valentine stuff um, earlier, all of his injury issues. Uh, out of that top part, I really like Purdue. Um, I think they've played pretty good ball this year. Uh, they've, um, I think it's A.J. Hammond, the, the center, is quite uh, feisty. Um, I agree with you on Villanova. I, I'm, I really don't like Florida or Pitt this year, really. Um, and Pitt, it's it's a tournament. They turn to uh, they turn into a pumpkin every every March. So, like, are these the worst eight and nine seeds you've ever seen? They're pretty bad. This is again, like every time I see Florida as an eight seed or something, I'm like, yeah, no. they're just gonna get in. Florida's like Wisconsin's uh, not an eight. Good. Yeah, Wisconsin's an eight. They haven't had a they they were like totally out of the tournament until two weeks ago. So. Um, yeah, not too worried about uh, anyone there. So if Villanova does make a run, it's because man, the like the tournament just not impressive. Um, but I, I like Purdue, Iowa State. I've learned to uh, just not believe in in March. They've burned me too many times. Um, and I'll take Michigan State over Purdue in a uh, a Big Ten matchup in the uh, Elite Eight. I think that's I could buy into that. I think uh, the one thing that gives me a little bit of pause on Iowa State is the fact that Hoiberg's not there anymore. Um, but at the same time, Hoiberg wasn't there when they lost to Hampton in, like, 2001. So, yeah, I, I think the, the, the ruling against Iowa State stands. Uh, moving to the Midwest, um, Kansas-USC could be a fun game in, in round two, but um, I think that this plays out pretty favorably um, for Kansas to get through. Um Dayton, I might have believed in a couple weeks ago. Not now. Um, Arizona, I don't buy into at all. Um, down at the bottom, uh, I really wish that Maryland and North Carolina were in different brackets. Uh, Colorado is definitely going to upset South Carolina um, in that 7-10 game. Um, I do like, and again, I really wish North Carolina wasn't in this bracket. Um, and same goes for Maryland, because I feel like Kansas, North Carolina, and Maryland could all be Final Four teams very e- easily. Um but I'm gonna go with um, I'm gonna go with UNC over Kansas in the uh, in the Elite Eight. It's kind of a bold one. Um, let's see. I know you've been a big USC proponent this year. I think they are pretty interesting. Um, Dayton, not that impressed with Arizona. I really don't have a good read on. I feel like people they're just kind of 
hanging around that ranking because they haven't done enough to fall off of it. They're, they've been kind of in the, you know, in and out of the top 10 all year. Um, but there's definitely not as good as the last couple Arizona teams. What's the problem with the West Coast basketball this year is that there is no elite team. So then, like, nobody stays up to watch because there is no elite team. And then, like, the entire Pac-12 is, like, you know, riddled with, like, stupidity. The West Coast Conference, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't be able to field an at-large team if it needed to. There's just not enough out here right now that, that makes you want to pay attention to Arizona or anyone else. Yeah, I think that's a good good point. Um, same with like Utah. Like Utah looked pretty interesting earlier in the year. They have they have uh, Poitel, who's pretty uh, one of the better centers in the league, but they just can't seem to consistently build anything this year. Um, and they're a six, so again, all you need to know. And Maryland at a three. Maryland's been free-falling for two or three weeks. Um so I think North Carolina has a really nice path to the uh, Elite Eight. Um, I'll take Kansas as well. I'm going to take Kansas over UNC. Uh, I just feel more com- comfortable with them. That's fair. I just know Kansas does that thing every few years where they just completely, completely, you know, fall flat. I don't think it happens against any of these lower seeds, but I think North Carolina is a possibility. You're not wrong. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, down in the south, uh, Virginia elevated to a one seed. I don't buy that for a second. Um, that said, um, really, really want to see Virginia VCU. Um, you know, I know Shaka Smart's not there anymore. It doesn't matter. Um, I think they'll play with enough pace to make it interesting with Virginia. I think they win. I think a Shaka Smart VCU team wipes the floor with Virginia. Um, I really want to pick Valpo over Indiana. Um, I think that'd be a lot of fun. I'm going to take Kentucky out of this top part. And again, I, I hate sounding like Kentucky Homer because I hate the Wildcats, but um, I'm taking Kentucky over Virginia to get into that Elite Eight spot. Um, and down in the other part of the bracket, I am picking West Virginia over Xavier um, to get into that um, Elite Eight matchup with Kentucky beating West Virginia and... Um, as a uh, kind of payback for the 2010 loss at Syracuse. Um, let's see. My uh, browser is being weird. Um, oh, yeah, we're on the south. Uh, it's funny that Virginia is still number one. I feel like Virginia is just totally flown under the radar um, this whole year. And maybe it's because they haven't been quite as uh, good the, the, in the regular season as they have the last couple. Um, I'm going to take them uh, ugh, Indiana I don't know what to do with Indiana looks so good some nights and then they're just Screaming. absolutely <laughs> dreadful other nights especially away from um, Assembly Hall so this year is peak cream like this is the most cream season they've had it's like it, I don't know on a, on a week to week basis if cream's going like, to get fired at an extension um yeah, let me see. They're home. I'm trying to find their home away splits. They're uh, on the road. They're four and four. Yeah. Uh, at home, I think they're. I think they might be undefeated. Really? What's their overall record? I don't know. All right, no, they're two, twenty-two and six. So they're uh, like eighteen and two at home, and they're somehow they've only played eight road games, and they're four and four on the road. Um, so they're not going to play at Assembly Hall in uh, in the tournament. So that's uh, a big factor here. Kentucky, I think, uh, you know, always afraid of them in March. They haven't really failed to live up to expectations at any point in the tournament under Calipari, unless you thought, like, the John Wall team should win it all. Um, 
or last year, I guess, but they still went to the Final Four. So I'm going to go with Kentucky versus Indiana. That's also a rivalry game, and Kentucky would like nothing more than to just like punt Indiana across the tort. Which they would. Um, which they probably would. Um, although I think that could be a fun game if Indiana comes to play. Uh, I'll take Virginia over Kentucky, Ooh. although I don't feel great about it. I just think that their style might give that really young Kentucky team fits, um, especially on defense. And then in the bottom, Xavier was really impressive tonight. One of the first times I've really seen them like extended portions of their game. Um, they really like Villanova. They held Villanova by like ten points the entire second half. Um, Notre Dame, I think, it, you know, been kind of a fan of them. They play really good offense. West Virginia does not play very good offense. They play really ugly, strappy ball. But uh, I could see that being kind of effective against some teams, but also the tournament things they're called tighter. Uh, I could see that being an issue. I'm going to take uh, – I'm not really buying into Wichita State. I'm going to take Notre Dame and Xavier, and I'm going to go with the Irish. And then I will take Virginia narrowly over Notre Dame in the Elite Eight, all ACC. All right. Moving out to the West um... – Spoiler alert, I'm taking Oklahoma to get through um, this bracket in any case, but um, I definitely like the matchup between them and Duke um, in a potential Sweet 16. Um, obviously, that's dependent on the team's health. If Duke you know, keeps losing players or struggling to keep guys in the court, you, know, you could see that team definitely fall off that four line. Um, down at the bottom there... Um, I don't buy the Zags as an at-large, and Lenardi's a clown for putting Gonzaga in there as an at-large. Um, well, maybe not a clown, but he's he's stretching it quite a bit. Um, same goes for Cincinnati, to be honest. Uh, but whatever, that's why this bubble's so weak. Um, so I'm going to go with, um, out of that small pod... I'll go with Oregon, but begrudgingly, out of the Spokane area. Um, I like Syracuse to upset Providence. Uh, I just don't think we can hang with Iowa. Um, and the Iowa-Oregon matchup that, honestly, if those two teams were in any other bracket, it probably had them losing in the second round. Um, I'm going to have to put one of them in the Elite Eight, and that team will be, for some reason, Oregon. You're such an Oregon fan, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Um, I actually, this is a pretty tough bracket, I think. Cause, they uh, all suck. Like, I could easily see Cincinnati <laughs> or Gonzaga running through this entire bottom half of the bracket. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's, it, you could go a lot of different directions. You could buy into UConn, Devil Magic. You can buy into Wisconsin, kind of finding their way. Um, I'm going to take, out of the top half, I'm actually going to go Duke over Oklahoma. I just have a feeling that it's going to come together for them. They're playing better as of late. Emil Jefferson looks like he's going to come back before the end of the regular season. I know he's been practicing, and he uh, seems to be almost ready to go, and that would be a big boost for them. Um, so I love Oklahoma. I would hope they would win that. Uh, but I just, you know, it's it's hard with, when Duke gets rolling. Um, in the bottom, I'm going to take Syracuse over Providence. I'm going to take Syracuse over Iowa for no logical reason. I'm just going to do it. Fair enough. Um, I'm going to take Texas out of Spokane, and uh, screw it. I'll take Syracuse (laughs) to beat Texas and lose to Duke in a surprising and kind of annoying Elite Eight game. Um, 
I just, you know, I really like what Chaka Smart's done. Uh, they look really awful to start the year at Texas, and, and he's really gotten them going. Um, but they're like, uh, I, I think when teams don't face the zone a lot in the tournament, I think it can be a problem. And uh, that would be what they would be doing in the uh, Sweet 16 and in Syracuse. So I'll take the, the homer run here. I think that's the first time I've done that in our all the weeks we've been doing this. So um, why not do it after we've lost a couple of games and everyone's you know bailing on the team? Yeah, uh, I can't really argue with that logic. I mean, the last time we faced Texas in the tournament, things went pretty well. So yes, maybe we uh, we capture some of that. Um, so yeah, your final four is some mix of Michigan State, um, Kansas, or North Carolina, Virginia or Kentucky, and Oklahoma or Duke. So I'd say no real surprises there. I think there's some more interesting picks than others, but I think that that's a fair group, and I I I would think a lot of brackets would have any of those eight teams in there. Yeah, I think we were a little more interesting this week. Like I, like we said last week, I think depending on how Lenardi puts these, we're either kind of in agreement all the time or we kind of vary. I think this was a little more interesting. Um, it's always funny to see how he games these matchups, though. Oh, yeah, I mean, w- without a doubt. I mean, the, the Syracuse-Providence thing... In, in Iowa is hilarious. Just for the... I mean, if SU had ended up in the Big Ten, it would have been incredibly funny. Um, just because of location, obviously opponent. Um, yeah, so th- there's a lot of entertaining matchups here. The, the shitty part is, too, like, you look at all these 5-12s, and I actually think all of them provide a lot of intrigue, but I just think the fives are just overwhelmingly better because, again, of how light that bubble is. Um, but, yeah, we can... Uh, yeah, it's a really bad 12 line. I, now that you brought it up... Uh... Trying to think of which ones. I don't mind Arkansas, Little Rock, and Valpo though, but it's just like those fives are just too good for them to beat. Yeah, like Valpo is going to be the one that everyone pits, but Indiana, like they, either that would be a hilarious cream game or Indiana would beat them by thirty. Indiana is such a bizarre team. Um, I really do think this Indiana team could be like it, the make or break one for cream. Like if they don't play up to potential, like I don't think they'd fire him at this point, but. He don't in the next year really needing to do something, but uh, they're also they're super talented. They're probably one of the five most talented teams in the country, I think. So, well, if they lost to Valpo, that then it would be interesting. Then he's fired here, here, here's this uh, here's this Crean, um, situation for you. There, there's two funny situations that I can see: either Indiana Indiana wins against Valpo but loses to Stony Brook. <laughs> <laughs> Or Indiana beats Kentucky, but then loses to Texas Tech. Ugh, those would both be those would be so cream. I mean, yeah, that that would actually be peak cream more than anything. I, I think the most likely funny cream thing would be Indiana just like absolutely beating down Valpo and all the Indiana fans getting just super amped for the Kentucky game, and then Kentucky just goes and rolls them by like thirty-five. Yeah. Like, Calipari and Green just, I mean, I know the Indiana with the one win with the buzzer beater, which was awesome, but that's just, uh, it's unfortunate they don't play every year anymore, and that's a ton of BS, and it's mostly on Calipari, but it would be a very, uh, it'd be how the narratives of John Calipari and Tom Green are supposed to play out. I'd buy that. Another funny Green scenario would be uh, Indiana gets itself to the Elite Eight and loses to Notre Dame. Yeah, that'd be fun, too. Indiana basketball. Indiana Indiana basketball standpoint. All right, and that's all for college basketball this week. Um, Spring practice. Dan, what did you you take away from kind of 
these snippets we received from uh, day one of uh, of Spring Babers Ball. Um, Eric Dungey's more of a Netflix guy, ladies. Um, so that's good to know. Ask him if he wants to uh, chill. I'm sure he'll say yes. Yes. Um, there hasn't been a ton. I mean, it's very interesting with how Babers is approaching it. I mean, he's, he seems to really be giving everyone a, a blank slate. Obviously, all indications are that Dungey will retain his starting job, as I think we all think he should. Um, and he was kind of lightly complimentary of him. Um, it, it's, it's, I think it'll really get heated up next week once we get the pads on and we hopefully get a little more out of Dino, because right now it's just been, you know, light drills and, and just some implementation. But it seems like everyone's pretty happy with how things have gone so far. Um, in terms of speed of practice and everything, uh, but uh, I don't think we've heard anything that's too outside of uh, expectations. You know, practices are faster. I really enjoyed Steve Ishmael calling <laughs> this an up-tempo offense versus last year, which was a slow, a, a, a slow-tempo offense. I think is what he said, <laughs> which is hilarious and not necessarily untrue. And I know, I know he didn't mean to like make that a knock, but no one's ever said in football a like a down-tempo or slow-tempo. Offense and meant it as a, as a compliment, so that was fun. Um, but I think we'll really know more next week once the, team, the players with the pads on, and, and hopefully Babers is a little forthcoming and willing to get people excited for for the spring game in a couple weeks. Yeah, and you know I think that that's the big the big difference here. You're seeing it on social media. You're seeing it elsewhere. Like there's a lot to just Babers understands that that you got to win over this fan base right now. And I think even if the the wins don't necessarily come on the field this year, I think he understands that that they need to come off the field. Um, I know I said in the Slack room earlier this week, but I think Steve Ishmael is going to be a really fun quote this year. I think for some reason he's decided like this is the uh, the year of Steve that he's just going to open up and, and start being like incredibly funny and like saying like ironically entertaining things. Like there's just a lot. There's a lot of like there, and I think that like the players under Babers already seem like they have a little bit more personality, um, you know, than they might have under Schaefer, who I feel like kept everybody very anti-media and a little more lock and key. Um, at least from my standpoint. Yeah, I noticed that with Ishmael, especially because he's been very reserved so far at SU. And actually, for a second, when I watched a video interview of him, like I didn't realize who it was for a second. I did know, like, basically, you know, he also cut his hair. But, um, like, he was always one to give very, you know, short, kind of, you know, not curt or anything, but just very, you know, simple answers. He wasn't going to really bring a lot of personality, but he definitely seemed more upbeat, maybe because he knows he's going to catch, like, 95 balls this year. Um, I think that would get anyone a little excited, but uh, I, I'm, I'm really excited to see what he can do. I, he's the closest thing SU has to a game-breaking talent. He's gone up against the best corners in, in the ACC, and he's you know done a pretty good job in an offense that really wasn't designed to give him you know a ton of looks. I mean, we were pulling our hair last year over some of the games where he just was getting four targets and catching three passes for 40 yards. So... I mean, hopefully Babers has identified him pretty early and knows that he's a guy to build the offense around. And, and hopefully Steve will uh, keep on giving us some, some gems. Oh, yeah, and, like, not to make this, but maybe make this, like, the, the, the last 10 minutes about Steve Ishmael. But, like, you know, we said every week, he really is the guy. And, like, everybody, you know, at, at Media Day last year seemed to be very honed in on, like, around the conference, honed in on the fact that Steve was a, was a potential breakout guy. I think he still is. Um, you know, this year you look at like his, his numbers definitely went up last season, despite again like minimal use. Um, you look at Syracuse's record books though, and this is I'm just gonna I was gonna write about it this week. I decided I'm gonna wait till the summer. Um, 
you look at the record books for Syracuse and receivers, there's not a whole lot of guys um, that you know have caught over 100 passes in their careers or have like really put up a sizable amount of yardage or touchdowns uh, through the air. I mean, we just we've never been that sort of at you know just aerial attack offense and. Like even some of the greats um, at SU just haven't really hit those like huge number plateaus. Um, so I think you know Steve is a is a golden chance here. I mean, if the guy catches eighty, ninety balls this year, he's going to be like top five on on just about every receiving list in SU history, uh, with a chance to break pretty much every record next season. Um, I, I I do think that um, you know I re- I didn't mention this in the receivers article just because I feel like it's an article in and of itself. Like I think Ishmael's. This offense's ability to use Steve Ishmael can make or break this team. Um, I, I and I think if they can't use Steve Ishmael, it's a, it's it's either a testament to being slow learning on the system or or a lack of talent at other key positions. Yeah, it's interesting to note because so much of you know the the great receivers in SU history played either under uh, Pasolini and, and uh, his team, which ran you know a lot of option, a lot of running. Uh, and it was just the 90s. There was a much different game, um, a lot more down the field throwing versus, you know, quick, uh, high, you know, up-tempo offense. So even a guy like Marvin Harrison um, wasn't going to get a lot of chances to, you know, catch a bunch of eight-yard out routes and, and do a lot of those things. He's going down the field and uh, looking for more bid plays while they run like the freeze option and everything. So, and then obviously Art Monk was a totally different era, but those are two of the greats of all time. Um, so there is a lot of room in that record book for Ishmael. If he, if he fills a role that like Roger Moore or uh, uh, one of the other, um, I think was it Roger Moore the, or that was the Bowling Green wide receiver. That I, his name? Yeah. I want to say yes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Bowling Green was incredibly, um, incredibly prolific and their their receivers it's roger lewis i was mixing him up with ronnie moore and i gave you a james bond actor so <laughs> i knew i was like there's no way that it's also roger moore it's roger lewis ronnie moore both bowling green players last year both uh both receivers i think um but no i i think this offense is one that's tailored to uh putting up big numbers and that's not obviously not the the end game uh it's not to get you know steve ishmael 100 catches but it's just something that could happen very easily if this offense starts to click uh, quickly this year. And we all like big numbers. They're fun. Yeah. They're easy to sell. Yeah, we've never really had them, so, so that'd be nice. Um, I guess closing on uh, one of my favorite topics um, around SU football, what the hell is this team going to do with Jamal Custis this year? <laughs> Who knows? Like, honestly. <laughs> Maybe nothing. <laughs> Again. Um, no, honestly, like this, I mean... You saw last year, like, I, I forgot who it was. I, I, I drew a direct comparison to somebody on um, on Bowling Green, and I think in general, like, you know, Custis had, like, that one game where, like, you and me said it, like, on the podcast the next week. We're like, oh, great. Like, Syracuse decides to use Jamal Custis, like, inside the five, and he catches a pass, like, on the first try. Like, and we don't have to worry about, you know, feeding Dungey to the Wolves trying to run it in. And then we literally never saw him target it again. No, because why... why do something that uh, could possibly be useful. Um, I assume that, I mean, we saw him in some of those videos, so I assume Babers knows who he is, uh, might know his name by now. Uh, It would be great. I mean, Babers just seems like a guy who can find ways to use guys effectively, 
And we saw Bowling Green. Obviously, his offense is totally different than what we've seen the last three or four years. But um, he didn't recruit a lot of those guys either. Those were players that were left behind uh, from the previous, from Clawson's staff. Um, so I think that we'll find that Babers, you know, finds unique and useful ways to use the players that are uh, given to him. Um, he's been uh, really successful at it so far. And again, like the, the first two job, head coaching jobs he's had, he's had to do with, uh, he's a won his division every time he's been, which I don't think is going to be a realistic this year, but he's done it by inheriting, inheriting players that were left behind and finding ways to use them to the best of their abilities. And I think there are a lot of useful players in the Syracuse offense that he'll hopefully, uh, find some interesting roles for yeah no and, and you know i think another player before we leave um that's worth at least thinking about is you know i mean dan do you think mo neal ends up seeing the field this year or do you think that he's that he's a prime red shirt candidate along with uh riley and maybe some of the other guys um just because of the glut of players we have at those running back and wide receiver spots uh it's hard to know i'd be fine with either way um i think he's really talented but he seems like he might fill kind of the same roles as Irv Phillips, who it sounds like he's going to be playing a lot more receiver than anything this year, which I don't necessarily know how I feel about because uh, I thought he was a better running back. But, I tr- again, I'll trust Babers here. Um, it seems like we just have a lot of bodies. So, I mean, if Neil's better than them, I use him. Like, just as long as you're going to get the, the number of touches to make it worth it uh, to burn his red shirt, I'm fine with it. Um, but uh, it's hard to tell without you know actually seeing the practice. But he will have a jump since he's there already and he's enrolled and and practicing. So uh, I think if they can carve out a, a use for him and they're not going to give him like you know twenty touches during the year, then I'm all for it as long as he has a legit role. Completely agree. It's a good place to end it. You know, I think we uh, we get a nice little upbeat football note. We didn't get overly negative about basketball. All around good podcast, Dan. Thank you, and and to you as well. Hopefully we uh, have some good basketball, you know, actual basketball, not just podcasting this weekend and get everyone back uh, ready to go for March. Please, please. Yes. Um, And on that note, uh, we'll wrap up here. Everyone, thanks for tuning in, as always, to Troy Noons, an absolute podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe over on iTunes, on Blog Talk, whatever device you're listening to or service you use to listen to us on. Uh, Dan, thanks, as always, for joining. You're very welcome. Go orange. Go orange. Hey. Wanna watch me make dinner? Probably not, but but maybe.
At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.